Hi, everyone. It's Raghu with Mind Rolling, and I'm with Judy Leaf. And uh, Judy and I are meeting for the absolute first time. As I just said to her, this is the delight of podcasting, is you get to me meet people that you wouldn't potentially normally, especially in these days, it's all Zoom, uh, but uh, make a friend. So welcome, Judy. Thank you, Raghu. Um, so Judy's um, been a longtime student of uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who everybody who's listening to this podcast, you know that I talk about him from time to time fairly frequently. And you also know of uh, Ram Dass's involvement and the famous uh, talks uh, at, uh, that Ram Dass did around the Gita at Naropa when it first opened. Trump asked him to get to uh, to do this, and uh, they did some wonderful. Were you there, by the way, in '74? I was there for the second half of the summer session. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see Ram Dass at all, or Ram Dass and Oh and yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. I missed that because I was elsewhere at the time. I can't remember what was going on. Maybe having a child, that might have been it. And, uh, but uh, we have, of course, the entire uh, recording videos of back then, uh, certainly of Ramdas, and then a couple of, uh, of uh, little panels that uh, Ramdas mm -hmm. did with uh, Trump or Rinpoche. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's just start here, which is. How did you get here? I mean, I, I always like to talk to everybody I first meet about how did the transformation even appear to be possible, given the way that we were brought up and the lives that we had and the causes and conditions and all. What was that uh, glimmer uh, at the end of the Oh, wait a minute. There, I do not have to act like this. I do. Uh, there is a way to be free of this anxiety however which way you want to put it. But what happened and where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Iowa. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, everybody has a different story, which is a cool thing I suppose you must enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really hard to, to uh, you know, stories seem to have no origin to just go back and back to early childhood, I guess. But in any case, the shorter version of the story is I grew up in Iowa. And then um, uh, after I went to college in Iowa, and after I graduated, then I was uh, spent a year in India on a Fulbright uh, English tutor scholarship. Oh. So I spent the year in Lucknow, India. And then after and that, how old were you at that point? That's twenty one. Twenty one, pretty, yeah. pretty yeah. young. Yeah, so it was right after I graduated. I went right to India, but not as a spiritual seeker particularly, but uh, as a, you know, I was supposedly I was going to be teaching English at Lucknow University, um, but anyway, I spent the year in India, and then after that, I went uh, back to uh, the states. Went to uh, Columbia Graduate School in New York. And um, so I was in New York during, that was in 72. So it's during time of a great kind of ferment and uh, of all sorts in terms of political activism and uh, spiritual seeking and, and all that kind of thing. Many, many teachers uh, coming through in terms of spiritual scene and a lot of actions in terms of various anti-war consciousness raising, um, women's empowerment and on and on, free speech, etc. It's all blowing and, up again, isn't it, right now? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's good. It's amazing. Anyway, so I had uh, uh, finished uh, most of my, well, I'd finished my coursework and my oral exams and uh, written exams and whatnot uh, for my um, PhD. And then uh, I was, had been part of a grant of a cross-cultural studies grant and the people were going to different countries. It was a cross-cultural study. And um, so that was what I was next on my supposed plan, my list. You had a plan. And uh, uh, I was supposed to be the person going to India. And um, just at that time, India and Pakistan had a war 
and the U.S. sent fighter jets to Pakistan, and India pulled the visas of all the scholars coming from the U.S. Uh, in retaliation for U.S. siding with Pakistan. And so I was in this interesting position as a youngish person. I was in New York, and I was on this grant getting paid, but I couldn't go and do anything. So I was basically just bopping around uh, and while the, the authorities tried to figure out what to do uh, with me. So they were working on sending me to Nepal and, instead or something like that. Mm. And anyway, during this period... Um, Basically, I was paid to do nothing, and which is great. <laughs> and uh, uh, during that time, I happened to uh, encounter, a, went to a talk by a student of Trungpa Ruche, and um, and then some friends of mine were going up to Vermont with, to a place called Tales of Tiger, which they became later Comrade Chilling, just for a weekend program. And I was just sort of tagging along. I wasn't really looking for anything, I didn't think. Um, and so I went up there, and that's when I first uh, began to practice meditation, and that's when I first met Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, he was giving a weekend program called Work, Sex, and Money. And uh, so the initial experience of sitting meditation made a big impact on me, but I came back to New York, and Trungpa Rinpoche was teaching quite a lot in New York City during that time. That was in 71. Uh, so I went to various talks and, and uh, whatnot. And somehow during the course of uh, that period, between um, uh, 71, 72, early 72, I just sort of got more and more interested in, in uh, Buddhism <laughs> and uh, less and less interested in graduate school. And so to the dismay of my ad advisor, at, at some point I just dropped out and uh, moved to Boulder to study Dharma. So I just... Dismay of your parents, maybe, too? <laughs> I don't know what they thought. <laughs> uh, but it was a, it was just one of those things I ended up... There's so many circumstances came together, you know, the Trungpa Rinpoche being kicked out of his country, the Indo-Pakistan war, you know, having this sort of gap of time, you know, with uh, a very a transitional feeling. And uh, somehow it was really interesting because I wasn't particularly looking. In fact, I didn't really want to be connected with any spiritual tradition, really. And... Uh, what I was struck by with Trungpa Rinpoche is just, I didn't even associate him as being a Buddhist teacher, to be honest, at first. I just thought this guy knows what he's talking about. And it was so interesting, um, partly the way he spoke. Um, in, in those times, he was the only person that I heard speak that didn't seem to be wanting to get something from me. It had kind of a couldn't care less quality. He just said it, take it or leave it. Mm. And that was very uh, attracting for me and somehow very touching to concerns, you know, within me. So mm. uh, that's what I did. I went out to Boulder in 72, you know, and Europa started in 74. Out there. Yeah. Well, just tell me, like that first meeting, though, with him. Aside from the words, what else might have come across from him to you that I'm not sure you could put into words, but it was it's a seminal meeting and your entire life, like mine when I met Neem Karoli Baba, completely, utterly changed mm -hmm. in, and, uh, to this minute. Yeah, kind of a mega turn. Yeah, <laughs> big, big wide one, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, so, yeah, a little more about the first few times you might have. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't, as I said, it wasn't, I wasn't looking for a spiritual path. I wasn't looking for a particular philosophy. I wasn't in that at all. In fact, I was quite um, disillusioned with most of what I saw in the, that realm. And uh, I guess they'd say that it's hard to describe things that you can't, that aren't words, you know, that. The way uh, Trungpa Rinpoche was, they're so solid and so empty. 
mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, loving and so wrathful, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the combination, something about it, it was, you know, clearly it was, it just seems so much closer to the heart of things, deeply held experiences. Like it felt, it wasn't like the person, it wasn't as him as a person, I don't think. It felt like a, a connector, like he was a connector to a lost heritage kind of, mm. if I had to put it in words, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that I felt like, I actually when I thought, well, why? Why hasn't anyone told me about this stuff before? Why hasn't anyone showed this? You know, it seems to be so deeply part of human heritage. You know, a human, so important part of human experience. But nobody, nobody had shown it to me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, it's funny because when I met Neem Karoli Baba, I, when I look, when I, kind of relate how you're relating with when I asked you about first meetings with him and your initial real gut feeling. Uh, mine, when I look back, was, yeah, it wasn't a he or anything. It was more like uh, a computer is what I thought, although there was, <laughs> I don't think there was, you know, it wasn't any computers back. Well, there was, but just mainframes. Uh, and it was just that thing knew to do the exact right thing for everything that was around Hmm. manifested, you know. Hmm. And it, well, yeah. It's interesting. I had a friend, uh, New York Lex Hickson. Yeah, yeah. You may have met uh, him. Have, yeah. 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 And uh, uh, at one point, at some talk in the 71, Rimjay gave a talk at one of the churches there, and Lex says to me, I see you found your teacher. And I said, I have not. <laughs> In a couple of months later, I moved to Boulder. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, that, that's so much for all of our plans on all this, on all levels, yeah. right? Oh, boy, oh, yeah. I must mention, of course, to everyone who's listening, Judy has. Uh, I mean, I can, I don't know. Can you even count how many books that you worked with Trump or Rinpoche on? either while he was alive or after post. I mean, it's a lot, right? Oh, yeah, it's it's a few. It's a few. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, I have to thank you because I think they are some of the most important spiritual texts uh, that we could have in the West that really, really um, conveyed the truths by somebody who also was very, very aware of Western psychology. So the way in which he was able to explicate it was uh, extraordinary. And I, I, for, I actually went to Tale of the Tiger. When I got, I got back from India in the middle of 72, and Ramdas came to visit us. We had a whole we were trying to hang on to India, and we had this uh, farm that my father had in the eastern townships near Montreal, which is where I'm from. And mm. so we would, it wasn't that far, it was an hour and a half to go down to Tail of the Tiger, which we did. And uh, there's a famous, uh, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe you were there. It was Trump, uh, talk, uh, it was a talk about um, Castaneda's, uh, you know, Don oh, Juan. Yeah. With a cigarette? Yeah. Were you yeah. there then? No, I've heard the story. Oh, God, that was crazy. Yeah. But there's a video of it. I think we have it. I, I'm, I'm not sure wherever else it's available. But um, that was my first introduction. And as I said, I had just spent the last couple of years with in India, a bunch of it with Neem Karoli Baba. So, uh, and he used to jive us, Trumpa, Dramdas and, and those who came with him as the, oh, the light and lovers are here. Welcome. You know, mm-hmm. shit like that. Oh God. Um, so, uh, in um, just looking back, I found a book that you did that you worked with uh, Trumpa on. I never heard of it before, and it was based on some lectures he gave. And this is really going back: "Transcending Madness." Oh yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. I want to send it all. I mean, send a copy to all of my friends. Okay. I mean, we should do so. Actually, I would love to get together with you, and we should do something to our 
constituency around this book. I mean, we'll do a little today because I picked out things that we can talk about. But oh, cool. yeah. that is um, just elemental read. And it may seem not because it, Bardos and people go, well, the Bardos, what the hell is that? You know, uh, yeah. but the way that he brought it home. And, and in fact, uh, you know, just to... Um, he talks about, like right at the end of the book, and it's about the lonely journey is that uh, chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, so he said, well, what we've been doing, we've got to develop further perspective as to what we have discussed and its application to everyday life, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this hits home so much because that's all I really, I mean, I care about, I get this podcast so I can do what I want. And what I want is to be able to just share this kind of practical wisdom and uh nobody has it i mean it's in spades coming from uh from trumpa but um but he, of course everyone must go through different phases of so-called normality and so-called abnormality such as tension depression happiness and spirituality <laughs> all these phases that we go through constantly seem to be what we have been talking about in the seminar unless we are able to apply this to everyday life which is again there is no point to it. Often before we begin to apply it to anything, certain reminders come to show us whether we are going too fast or slow. I'm not talking in terms of divine power or psychic phenomena of any kind, but the kitchen sink level, conflicts of the bedrooms, <laughs> bedroom and conflicts of the sink. That's a whole other, that should be a book, just that. Such situations. That's a great title. Yeah, right. <laughs> Such situations are always presence, but on the present. But on the other hand, we are left completely alone, without help, without a sympathizer, without a comforter. It's important to see that this journey is a lonely journey. And... <laughs> I mean, some people may listen to that or read that and go, wait, that's really nihilistic kind of a thing, but it is absolutely not. It, um, and I don't know if you, did you manage to meet Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche? Mm -hmm. You did, yeah. Yes. And I, I want to, yes. I mean, I love him. <laughs> and, but that's, it's the same kind of, let's get to it, kitchen sink practicality. Yes, you are mm -hmm. alone. That doesn't mean you're not interconnected with everything and everyone and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just talk a little bit about that, the aloneness, and uh, and it has nothing to yeah, do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trungpa Rinpoche talked about that a lot, you know, and I think, but he connected it, as you say, not with nihilism, but he connected it with a, a tenderness and openness of the heart that be able to feel that quality, as well as the literal quality. <laughs> you know, we are alone. We're, we're born alone and we die alone. And no matter how much we care about someone, we can never really, we can never really be seen fully, except perhaps maybe from a great master. But um, there's that, the sense of accepting that personal the responsibility in a way and and that poignancy of um, uh, no matter you know what tradition we're in and has many practices and books to read and people to study with and all that fundamentally uh, you're the only one who knows what you're actually what you're actually doing you know what you're actually understanding is what your actual um you know heart is like your compassion your friendliness your accomplishment however you want to put it um you know people may have opinions about you and look up to you or look down on you or or have all sorts of ideas about you but they nobody knows but you you know and and that's a very strange thing because i think it's such a habit to want some kind of label or confirmation or something. And people can get really nihilistic when they have a big label, but underneath they know they're not that that's not who they really are, you know? Mm, yeah. So it gets down to, are we willing to be who we really are, you know, without trying to be some special um, being and not trying to hide our brilliance either. You know, it's, 
I think we're scared both ways. Mm. Scared of our brilliance and scared of not being special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the defense, the day-to-day defense mechanisms that we engage with to protect both of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's interesting in terms of communication as well, because this kitchen sink uh, level, um, he, he also said, Many times you don't really understand the teachings or the Dharma if you can't explain them to your grandmother. <laughs> I never heard that. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, again, a trap we fall into is so we can say the words and they can be very fancy words and we can feel really good that we know all those fancy words. But what do we really know? Can we really? Are we, have we digested and incorporated the teaching so it's a part of our being, so the words come out? Uh, we can use words people can understand. Mm, yeah. They don't need to use any jargon, any, any, uh, you know, Sanskrit, Tibetan, etc. Yeah, yeah. Necessarily, well, we talk directly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's the magic that Trungpa had, being able to do mm-hmm. that and characterize the these concepts that people have been working on for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and uh, get it to the kitchen sink is uh, <laughs> amazing. So, but basically the, the book, um, Understanding Madness and Sanity and Learning to Work Directly and Skillfully with Extreme States of Mind, that he says that, and that's, that's the core of really what the, what the book is about, correct? Yeah, it's about um, the... Uh, realms of mind that we create and inhabit uh, and also the potential for awakening in the midst of uh, confusion Mm. or seeing the awake quality within the confusion itself Mm. it's about transmutation Mm. yeah and um yeah and of course every he says every every experience every step of the way uh, is uh, in life is a bardo experience. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be good. To, this is uh, people have a lot of difficulty around bardo. First of all, people who do know about bardo, it's completely okay. When you die, you go into the in between states or however way you want to characterize it. But here, uh, Trumpa, this he brings it into now, not into. Mm-hmm. So can you um, help? help us with, first of all, what Bardo is and then how he brought this uh, into our daily lives now, not Mm -hmm. after we die. Well, to start with, he's not the only one. That's a tradition. Mm -hmm. There are many Bardos traditionally described. I think in in the West, we tend to mostly hear, and probably altogether, mostly people think of between death and birth, but between birth and death is also... Bardo. Uh, Bardo. And within that moment to moment, we're always in constant transitional state. So Bardo is like a transition state or inter, uh, in between state, you know, between one thing and another. You know, like you wake up in the morning, you're in between having wakened up and going to sleep at the end of the day, you know, that you're always in transit, so to speak, or in mm. between. Mm. And partly, on a most simple level, the notion of bardo is uh, not hanging on to anything solid. It's connected with impermanence and continual change. But it's also connected with um, what he sometimes talked about as gaps, and primarily that gap of nowness, you know, on the spot, where you're not really here and not really there. And where, but what that opens you up to pretty much everything, you know, that momentary gap and uh, kind of connectedness or you might go inter- interconnectedness with, with, with everything is all uh, comp- one thing kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bardo, the many, many Bardos. And I think um, uh, I find it useful there's a lot of ways to work with these teachings, but I find it useful to notice transitions and what happens in, in transitions. And traditional cultures are very well aware of that. Uh, everything from like going a, on a bridge across a river or entering, going through a doorway into a temple or into a 
room. Um, uh, the, the, you know, transitions of time uh, and space, literal uh, sense of bardo and, and periods of heightened energy and uh, heightened potential and heightened danger. Hmm. So a lot of traditions, you, you're crossing a pass or you're going across a bridge, you say a mantra or you do a prayer or something like that, uh, or like a transition from evening to night. Um, people feel it viscerally. You know, there's a elder, people work with the elderly, talk about something called sundowning. Mm. When the sun is going down, people start going really uh, challenged mentally and, mm, and confused and anxious. That's a bardo, that's a transition. So how do, how do we work with those, uh, the uh, potentials of those transitions? They open something out. You know, a lot of traditional religions have things that sunrise or sunset or mark particular transitions. So bardo is a part of everything. You know, even between thoughts or words, between breaths, you know, transition and yeah. inter. And he also in that book is really, uh, he really tied the discussion of bardo to discussion of what are called the six realms, which is all, all very important teachings as well. Uh, the realms of experience that we create, you know. And which are very, very common in every single one of us. <laughs> Anger, greed, ignorance, lust, envy, oh, pride. Yeah. That's all our are. favorite things. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and that's the beauty of what he did here is to really help us deal with very real on the ground issues that uh, I've been, I've been working around a, a friend of mine who I think you, you either you've met or you know of it's Krishna Das. He does all that great chant stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. he came up with the thing, okay, <clears throat> the movie of me, you wake up in the morning, you're the producer, director, writer, two That's protagonists, sure. this is it, 24-7, uh, and, uh, and when we've been... Uh, I've been going into it with various friends and teachers and so on, just getting all the different kinds of aspects that bring out this extraordinary quality of, and, and of course the Buddhists have the greatest terms, uh, you know, self-cherishing, okay? That's, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful mm -hmm. term and it says right away what it is, you know, that we're doing. Who's the star in the movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's something from from the book that we can talk about, um, which we just just mention. Um, he says, as we work in ourselves, then we continuously work with others as well. That's probably so radically important. It's a lot of people are I'm going to work on myself, and I'm going to I'll be a better something or other. Mm -hmm. But. Who cares about anybody else? It's just I got to get there, you know. Kind of that's the Western mm -hmm. thing. Not true. Uh, that is the only way of developing ourselves, and it's the only way of relating with the six experiences of Bardo. If we relate mm -hmm. our experience with the dream Bardo, the Bardo between birth and death, the Bardo of the before death experience, or the Bardo of emotions, all of these have a tremendous connection with our projection of the world outside. Other persons animate and animate and inanimate objects. The apparent phenomenal world also play a great and important part. But unless we're willing to give in, give way, and learn from these situations, then our prefabricated learning, either by scripture or the constant close watch of our instructor, doesn't help. It doesn't mean anything very much. <laughs> Oh, ouch. <laughs> Big ouch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, well, you, you really hit, hit the nail on the head. It's the, um, the really confronting pretty directly the kind of self-help movement approach and the very individualistic approach, um, you know, which is part of our Western, particularly North American, I think, culture. Yeah. Extreme individualism. Yeah, extreme. And it's all but, about me and all about me getting 
better than other people through some kind of uh, technique or strategy or, or work of some sort. Um, mm. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too because in um, tr- more most traditions, well, certainly in Buddhism, uh, uh, the sangha community working with others is a central, as as central as the Buddha, as central as the teachings, and central as the teacher, and that's where you get to work with those things you're talking about. Jealousy and pride and creating anger and yeah. you know, working with your fellow uh, students or Humans. fellow beings. Yeah. And also the notion of, I, th- I think he spent a lot of time trying to uh, confront his Western students with, to get them out of their heads, you know, to relate with reality like dirt and trees and automobiles and work and, uh, politics and um you know real things that uh, make the world go round so to speak how to work with all that um rather than escape from all that into some spiritual what we could label as a spiritual something other yeah that's why he always got after us light and love (laughs) although uh, i believe he knew who neem karoli Baba was is so. <laughs> I think he was after uh, that part of us that was really. Uh, we were young. We were in our early twenties or the uh, mid twenties at that point. Um, boy, yeah, he could talk. He can break bus balls. Wow, he did that with us as well. <laughs> I am very sure about that. Very yeah, sure. Uh, he was a a great uh, skewer. Skewer of pretense, mm, mm. and it's so easy to build up pretense. Almost, uh, probably the easiest way to become totally pretentious is through spirituality. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's, what's better? And then, if you're in a certain yeah. tradition, you get to wear fancy robes and hats, and yeah, you know, hold scepters, and yeah, people. Bow and scrape. Yeah. yeah, that that reminds me of um, the beauty of uh, Mingyur Rinpoche, who went off right from mm-hmm. all of that yeah. over the wall, and just I got it. He was going to experience the dirt, the dirt. Boy, did he ever! Mm-hmm. Uh, he's fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. Anybody out there listening? We did a podcast actually, Krishnadas and I, with uh, Mingyur Rinpoche a oh, cool. year and a half or mm-hmm. so ago. I mean, he is just so absolutely wonderful in so many different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the skewering, you know, he said, if we allowed, Trumpa, if we allowed space for ourselves, we automatically would know that the subtlety, the subtlety of self-hypocrisy is always there without fail. Even if you have great power, great willpower to override these obstacles, <laughs> still you would know. There still will be a very faint, but very sharp, very delicate and penetrating understanding that something is not quite right. Yeah, boy, <laughs> that's easy to relate with. But here's the beauty. He says that is basic sanity, which continues all the time without fail. That basic sanity really allows you to engage your speed and pressure, so to speak. It happens all the time continuously. So <laughs> that it, isn't that, Judy, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It, it turns what seems oh, hypocrisy, oh, my God, there. But, uh, you know, we get into spacious awareness and we are not reacting to that. We are. That's basic sanity is having that awareness, and it. And that's why this thing is called transcending madness, right? This book. Mm-hmm. Am I on the right page there with uh, my understanding there of how he's? Yeah, I think it's the not the experiences we have, but then what we, how we um, co-opt them in a certain way. How we we're always veering off. Uh, like veering off of the rawness of experience. And because we have so many ideas of what we're supposed to be like and what we're supposed to be experiencing and how we're supposed to react. And it's just endless, at least if it's, I speak personally, I don't know about you, but there's endless like layers of all that stuff. (laughs) It's like you could say probably Uh, a thousand layers of things complicating every simple experience that arises. And so how to uh, just 
appreciate directly and see the wisdom that's like it's like waving you know hello here i am yeah we're right here wisdom just take a few of those thousands of layers of thoughts about it and you'll find it's already there right there Mm, yeah (laughs) he there's one thing he talks that i wouldn't mind you expressing uh and it's uh, around the process of and style of magnetizing uh the magnetizing process involved in the asura realm demon realm which again is select which is connected with jealousy which is a big thing for many 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 people uh maybe for all people at even at you know at the most subtle level uh, in in this realm, the Asura realm, demon realm, magnetizing is very blind. It is not as selective and intelligent as that of the human realm. The human realm altogether contains so much selection and also the rejection of certain things as not your style. Every, I mean, just think about it, everybody. Boy, do we have a commitment to a certain style of who, the style of who we are. Never, huh? It's so embarrassing. Yeah, so. it's a tremendous sense that you have your own ideology, you have your own style, and you magnetize situations in order to enrich your basic being. Okay, what's he speaking of when he says magnetize um, um, situations in order to enrich your being? Maybe you could... I think it's pretty literal. You draw in uh, people who agree with you. <laughs> you draw mm. in supporters. You draw in, uh, uh, you know, props, so to speak, that uh, uh, fit the image you're trying to mm. project or 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 construct of who you are. Um, and you try to get people backers, people on your side. Um, mm. admirers, friends, whatever, coterie. It's like having a posse. <laughs> right. That's you have it. your kind yeah. of posse, your tribe, or whatever you want to call it, you know, to, and then your whole world gets set up so you don't have to to encounter too much uh, obstacle. You, you feel like buffers around your primary neurotic style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, uh, yeah, it's like a um, a bowling alley with those buffers on each side so the kids' balls don't go off the thing. It, and yeah, we use it as that, adults. Yeah, yeah. And that realm is so much based on co- uh, competitiveness and, and mm. uh, uh, you know, competition and getting ahead. So you, you get your, you know, your troops, you know, from your, you gather your forces, you know. Yeah, yeah. and he, mm. then he further talks about it. Uh, you start to meet people wow, their style's even better than your style. It's the same kind of thing, but they're doing it better or they're more successful. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what does he say? So, I mean, uh, and it could be historical persons, he said, which could be said to be mythical persons at some point or in, or in regard to your contemporaries. You have observed them, you have seen them, you have been with them, and you are highly impressed by those who have perfected things intellectually, <laughs> convincingly from a practical point of view. You are also envious. They've gotten everything together, and you'd like to be one of them. This could be said to be like the jealous God mentality. In general point of view, it's not quite so. It has the quality of grasping. This mentality is based on grasping and trying to draw others into yourself. So it's 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 more than even just envy. It's got a, a whole mm-hmm. complex thing, grasping. Um which re- reminds me, again, I've told this many times, but uh, Joseph Goldstein, who I, I think you know who Joseph is mm-hmm. very well, and he came to uh, a retreat we were doing it with Ramdas before he left in Maui. And at one point, he was being driven around by a young man who had you know, been on the past few, path a few years and thought, geez, I'm with Joseph, you know, a, rever- a revered elder. I got to ask him something. So he says, Joseph, if you could tell me one thing that would be useful advice for me treading the path, please. Can you? So Joseph looked at him and he went, Stop clinging. 
<laughs> when he told me that story, that, who's the first that I thought of is, is Trump. I just bust it right at the most basic level, mm. right? Stop <laughs> clinging, grasping the whole thing. Oh, boy. Um, so oh, I got it. Since you, you know, and I'm looking, uh, if, you, if you're not watching this, I'm looking behind Judy. She has a couple of pictures. Um, one is 16th Karmoff, and I believe is the other is Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. Is that true? It's true, yeah. Okay, so uh, in between all of this wonderful stuff from this book, I just got to know, tell me about meeting Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. Let's start there. I mean, I did not get a chance to meet him, and it's one of, you know, if you want to play with regrets, okay, that's one. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as you know, know probably, Trungpa Rinpoche invited the, yep. mm -hmm. a number of luminary teachers to uh, do tours in the West. And uh, he had, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, I think, came three times under his invitation well, two times, and then he also officiated at Trungpa's uh, funeral ceremonies. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's a very hard person to describe. We, we oh, call yeah? him Mr. Mr. Universe. <laughs> very big. Yeah, big, you know, big for, six foot seven. Very big yeah. on all directions, you know, very tall and very rotund. And uh, he appeared often just wearing a, a little skirt kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's it, you know, and then with his malas and whatnot. And, um, he, you know, he was a person that Trungpa studied under and with and uh, had great respect for. And I guess he, he had this am amazingly photogenic guy, you know, she's beautiful pictures of him. It really convey this uh, uh, kind of stability and a warmth and also it's like he's made out of space <laughs> he was solid but made out of space it's mm, really hard great. to describe but just um uh just being around him you'd feel like your mind just goes you lose it in all it just goes away mm. <laughs> in all directions mm. and uh, uh he was Tireless. I mean, he didn't seem to put a lot of effort in, but he was nonstop. He would be doing like conducting interviews or giving teachings while reading and also while reciting, uh, you know, a, a liturgy. And, uh, um, and so, uh, I don't know, it's, it, it sort of felt like a whole kind of brought a whole kind of universe with him. Uh, and he had this quality of, un, I guess you'd say, so super ordinary. It's beyond ordinary. It's like a, like a cosmically ordinary kind of quality of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, so he was just like a, you know, kind of like a manifesting of, uh, of something that can't quite be grasped. And sometimes when, I'd, when he would start teaching, he would just start talking. It was like a, a river flowing. Mm, he just sort of went, just went, uh, even though I don't speak Tibetan, so I didn't, you know, I had to wait for the, the interpreter to, but it was just like, it was just like he was turning on a tuning awesome. in a radio dial, and the teaching was just flowing out. Mm. And it seems to be he was always that's all he was was the teachings flowing out somehow. Mm. Um, and take no prisoners, uh, as far I mean, in the most beautiful, compassionate, loving way, but yet, um, hundred verse of advice, uh, uh that book, um, that he mm -hmm. commented on. And it's just one thing in particular. Okay, you really you're going to be attached to your you know, all of your family members, your wealth, your job, your this, your that. You really you're not going to practice when when you go. 
maybe in three weeks, in three weeks, they'll never remember you again. Okay. Is this what you, you know, that kind yeah, of, I'm not right, saying yeah. it perfectly, but I'm giving you the, the yeah. feeling of, okay, stop. It was more of a stop, stop grasping yeah. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. He had kind of a, a grandfatherly quality as well, you know, mm. real, like a, a caring elder. But also, as you say, um, not sugarcoating anything. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's well, uh, similar for us to uh, Neem Karoli Baba. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, so who uh, the other being that you have behind you is 16th Karmapa. And uh, I did get a chance to have that darshan, mm -hmm. a black hat ceremony, actually. And, uh, and when I got... So we were all going to get blessings, and he would put kata, you know, mm -hmm. on scarf, silk scarf, and it was a line. And when I was, I don't know, six or eight people deep, the eyes getting closer, I got this hit. I mean, a powerful. It would be a cartoon. You'd see the rolling <laughs> vibration <laughs> smack, you know. Mm -hmm. And I got that. And the interesting thing for me was, oh shit, Neem Karoli Baba. Nothing to do, because behind these beings, be, behind their personality and their acting out however they need to in this incarnation, is only one thing going on once they've gone beyond. And this being certainly uh, uh, 16th was gone beyond. I mean, there's no, I, how do I just, whatever it is, I related it to that ineffable spaciousness. I don't know what to call it. Uh, mm -hmm. That happened yeah. to me in that yeah. moment. So I, I've got, I got that. Uh, it was a beautiful experience because it, it led to that much greater and out of the individual into the greater space, which is mm -hmm. what's represented by these beings of mm -hmm. unconditionality. Where'd you do it? Where'd you do Black Hat? Uh, Los Angeles in '81, yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing to watch him doing those because they had quite large crowds, the ones I saw. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah, big auditorium. And every single person would file by, which would go for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And every, you know, every person that went by, he seemed to connect with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. one after another, after like for three, four, five hundred people going yeah. by. One, yeah. yeah. What was your first uh, meeting with him? Like, I uh, think when the first time the Karmapa came to the States was 74, I think. Hmm. Maybe, I think, I think the same right. year as the starting of Naropa, I think. I'm not positive. And so that's when I would have first um, met him. It was a really interesting point for the students of Trimper because he started teaching in North America in 1970. So we would have been pretty you know, studying for just a little while, really. Mm. And uh, it's the only, the first time that um, we saw him in, in his more Tibetan aspect, you know, because he made such a point of blending into Western uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. look and feel. And the first time we saw him, you know, showing a respect for someone as, a, uh, you know, a lineage head in his tradition and, and teach, he spent a lot of time preparing for the visit of uh, uh, preparing the students to how to host you know a Tibetan lineage holder like that and uh, we were very resistant actually oh to, yeah yeah we Why? weren't interested in, at all and we <laughs> we were difficult students you know what do we want to have some we didn't want we weren't we were very wary of you know the uh, taking on the ca customs of another country or culture the tibetan of pretend tibetan thing so we were you know we we were fine without it and so he had uh Trimperoche was really pushing his students a lot about how to how to deal with this and what's what tibetan manners are and how how you do everything it was mm -hmm. like like a boot camp on 
how, how to do things properly for hosting a Tibetan, mm. uh, literally, beating us up almost. And uh, uh, and it was it was very challenging and very moving at the same time. It was really trying to shape his students up. In fact, you know, before, um, and he wanted to show off his students, <laughs> such as we were, <laughs> to, to the other uh, visiting teachers. And so before uh, the Kamapa's first visit, um, he had all, we were a bunch of hippie looking people <laughs> you know, and, and we were in that, yeah. you know, that kind of identity thing that you read about, you know, this is the uh, people should take me the way I am. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dress the way I am. I'm going to express myself with my, you know, this and that. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay, if you're going to have him, you got to go, you got to wear a suit and tie. And you've got to shave your beards and cut your hair. And you got to, women had to wear, you know, dresses and you know look like they all looked a bunch of businessmen or something like that you have to dress properly yeah. and you have to get your shit together so to speak so people were off to the salvation army and borrowing jackets and ties and suits and everything uh it was really um really very interesting that he uh he was really trying to pound something into us about how to be effective within the culture, how to relate to people within the forms that are there instead of complaining about forms all the time and how to learn about forms altogether. You know, what are forms? What are rituals? What are shrines? What are this? What are that? Hmm. Um, that's what yeah. he's doing. So it was, uh, and he was working tirelessly to host the uh, Karmapa properly. Hmm. So first moment you met Karmapa. What was that experience? Um, I guess I was, I would say it was for me, it was meeting the Karmapa and Trimpermache combo. Hmm. It was that context. It was like sparking something about uh, where Trimpermache came from which hadn't really occurred to me to think about that that much, you know, the whole lineage and the whole mm. uh, 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 Tibetan uh, Buddhist world. And, you know, the, uh, there was this wonderful quality that I, that I find so many Tibetan teachers have and other teachers sometimes as well, but particularly I've noticed it in Tibetans, a sense of great humor, humor mm. and power combination, a beautiful smile, but very humorous as there's a light, not a lightness and mm. laughter mm. Uh, as well. So that's, that struck me very powerfully. It wasn't a somber quality. It was a joyful, humorous quality. Mm. Um, at one point, the, uh, there's an initial welcoming ceremony, I think it was, and Trimper uh, uh, was exhausted because he'd been, he'd been staying up all night, you know, for days, you know, fixing up a shrine room and all sorts of stuff. And so he was nodding off, you know, <laughs> uh, and the Kamapa threw water on him. Yeah. <laughs> Wake him up, you know. <laughs> That's good. But very playfully. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. By the way, everybody, um, an extraordinary, extraordinary being, uh, 16th Karmapa. And uh, there's a wonderful book called The Miraculous 16th. Norma Levine, I think, put it together. Mm. And uh, we'll put that in the show notes so you can uh, find it. As well as, what's the, is it Dharma Moon, the name of the the uh, film about um, Dugo Kenshi Rinpoche? It's something Moon. See, I'm not prepared. Yeah. Uh, but I we're going to, we shouldn't even worry. It is Dharma Moon. I'm not it sure. Is? Yeah, it might either. be. Anyhow, yeah. you guys who put this stuff together, please find us a link to that movie because it's <laughs> phenomenal. You get a real <laughs> sense of that being. Uh, so there you go. Two tips for that. Um, 
so I, I, you know, Ramdas, who spent a good amount of time with Trumpa, he started getting in, you know, after Naropa and so on. He's, he started, and he was close to Allen Ginsberg, who was a major student of Trumpa. And he started to get a lot of grief, okay, from the love and lighters, shall we say. <laughs> I'm going to get I grief. I bet now. he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About hanging out with Trumpa, Trumpa because Trumpa had a, a nice uh, um. amount of sake at these talks. <laughs> I know I couldn't believe it when I went to Tale of the Tiger. I mean, the clarity of the talk, but how possibly he was sitting there drinking the sake, you know? So all of that kind of stuff, and um, he got a lot of grief about. It. So he, I actually, so we have podcasts on on the Be Here Now network of Ramdas that I introduced, and there was one I found that was kind of a. Um, it was a response from him to people who thought that he was leading people down a, um, a um, the wrong path by introducing Trumpa to, to people. And he gave the most fantastic response. And, you know, and it was, it uh, centered around um, the way that we are caught in our definition of what is kosher and what's not so to speak and mm -hmm. in spirituality and in and the reality is of course that there are more you know there's a ton of teachers that are taking advantage of students around the world not just in america and europe and india mm -hmm. everywhere mm -hmm. and so well you, you know you can't say well you know he's like he's beyond all that she's beyond all that you know mm -hmm. um but uh, crazy wisdom, which is what Ramdas talked about, is real. And mm -hmm. can you talk about crazy wisdom and also your own? I mean, you, you saw him drinking. You probably had, you know, we all came from very, you know, backgrounds, Judaic Christian back. Well, this is verboten, you know, all of that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, tell me your, your own involvement of seeing Trumpa and how it affected you, you know, all of that part of the trip? Well, I wouldn't presume to be able to uh, explain crazy wisdom, mm. but uh, I definitely can say that Trumpa Mache was extremely unconventional in his behavior and extremely conventional in other ways mm. that, uh, of course, everybody knows, I mean, it's well known that uh, he drank a lot and it really affected his health and shortened his life, no doubt. And he had a lot of uh, girlfriends and uh, lots of uh, consorts and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, for some people that, and, and on top of it, he taught in English and didn't wear robes and he didn't appear at all people's preconception of a spiritual teacher, you know, that kind of looks beatific and uh, loving all the time and probably wears some kind of spiritual trappings. And uh, he was not like that. And he pushed uh, the boundaries a lot uh, in terms of, um, you know, I guess you say cutting through uh, people's, expectations and try to and he pointed it out in in outside of himself as well you know he punctured the idea of the whole notion of what we think we know what spirituality is versus not spirituality and mostly it's a fantasy you know it's fantasies that have nothing to do with real people and, and the real journeys that people are are under and um it's sort of like um you know you'd say you can pass someone on this street, a bum on a bench, who's enlightened, you never even notice, mm -hmm. because it doesn't fit your preconceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, so you always just bring things right back to on the dots, you know, where's the, what's happening now, right now, on the dot, where is the, you know, um, 
wisdom there? What are you trying to hide? What are you trying to hold on to? When you're not, you know, what's underneath that and what's what's real? Um, so, you know, there were, I guess, I guess I'd say that, you know, there's there's no way to, I'm going to explain that he drank for this reason or that, or, mm-hmm. or he, he loved women for this reason or that, you know. Uh, uh, it just was part of the whole packet. He just like jumped into the Western culture. Um, in some ways, the more radical things, he, you could say drinking, having affairs, how convinced that's pretty conventional in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, how, how many people drink or have affairs? Like, all you know, lots, but um, what unconventional was teaching in English, teaching uh, lay people, dropping the trappings of a lot of the t- Tibetan tradition, and teaching uh, in the kind of um, way of teaching that was in in so often reserved for the monastery and for the. Uh, mm. Tuku training and just offering that to Western students and empowering Western students in a, in a very um, unusual way in terms of having students go out and start teaching and uh, um, so it's um, yeah that's the way, way it is mm. yeah. yeah I I never felt he did it for egoic reasons right. what he I, did I was just going to say. Uh, I I could be you know brainwashed, but but I never felt that way. It always seemed to be a, some point, you know, and uh, some kind of teaching happening. Yeah, I mean, basically, but not always easy to to endure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I never got, and you know, I was only with him a handful of times. Uh, but enough to get the f- enough of uh, a feeling that there somebody in there wasn't getting off on any of it. There wasn't that attachment grasping any of it. No. It, no. It, uh, yeah. And, and they seem to have a great appreciation for all these, you know, all these worldly pleasures, you know, great appreciation for beauty and women and uh, uh, music and art and, and, uh, Oh, there's your dog. Hi, dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, we're we're kind of at the end of our uh, of our chat. It's been fantastic, Judy. I I will say, <laughs> just about this book, which is really <laughs> phenomenal. And again, our uh, the people who take care of all of this we'll make sure that there's a link for the for transcending madness but there's just one thing that he actually says in the book that to me if you needed a a few words to describe why you should absolutely get this book and why practice (laughs) is what did he say it it's it's the the ability to make an honest relationship with ourselves Mm mm-hmm you know, make uh, just and he puts it another way. Making friends with ourselves is not very easy, and this book will give you a heads up to be able to start on uh, understanding and recognizing the ways in which we can make that one step after the other, and uh, mm-hmm. and get a little little bit more into the spacious awareness of, of who we are. So, uh, yeah. Get the book, everybody. <laughs> Study it. You'll... It's a good book, but it's not an easy read. <laughs> no, but you know what? And that's true. That may be true, but there's so many things in it that so, that just um, are are just edifying. They're, they're clarity <laughs> in certain moments. You know, they just come across. You know, you may not, okay, you may get lost in some of the bardos and what is that and so on and some of the nomenclature, but... Ultimately, there are so many moments there for me, and I think anybody, that you get that kitchen sink down to earth. This is going to help. As he said, and I quoted in the very beginning of the podcast, this is about putting this stuff into action day to day. It's not about knowledge, not about you know being a guy that under or a gal that understands all this stuff and can walk around and ex, you know expand on it. But mm. uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think it'd be helpful for people of any spiritual tradition or or just humans trying to curious about how to be more genuine and real yeah. and uh, less fearful of uh, or less embarrassed by who we are or yeah. fearful of who we are. Yeah. yeah. Honest relationship. Just yeah. that's simplicity, right? And that's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Let's go there, everybody. Yeah, uh, good idea. Simplicity <laughs> is so complicated. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, we like to make it that <laughs> Let's way. Let's just do it. Yes. Good idea. Thanks so much, Judy. It was great. Well, nice to meeting you. And... Yeah, get to know you. And uh, so this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll, boy, you can, uh, who, uh, Lama Surya Das, he talked a lot about uh, just some podcasts you might listen to that reference here because uh, he was also with Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche and also with 16th Karmapi has great stories. And David Nick Dern, who I think you know, Judy. Mm-hmm. Um, David uh, has a podcast on the network and he's talked about uh, Trumpa quite a bit. And uh, so, yeah, we have a lot of intersection here for sure. So again, thank you for being here. And everybody just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and as I said, uh, slash mind rolling and you'll get all of the links and be able to catch up on some of this stuff. And we shall see you next week. (laughs) Yeah. Bye-bye. 